and welcome to episode 30 of the Detours in Music podcast. My name is Laura Rupel, and today we're joined with James Madison University Assistant Professor of Clarinet, Sarunas Jankowskis. Hope you enjoy. Hello, my name is Sharunas Jankowskis. I am um, the Assistant Professor of Clarinet at James Madison University, soon to be associate starting in the fall. Awesome. Um, and can you talk about your start in music? All right. Uh, my very early stages in music start with my father. So the reason I exist is because my parents met at a university band, sort of like a concert band, parade band, where my dad played saxophone, clarinet, euphonium, percussion, you name it. Those days, students at the university that was designed for engineers, builders, um, had their own band and people were very enthusiastic to participate in music. So, and my mom was one of these uh, ladies that would march in front of the band during the parades. I think they, in English, they call them majorettes. This was back in my native Lithuania. So my parents met through music, uh, sort of. My mom was never an active musician other than that. My dad, maintained uh, his amateur career as a teenager and in his early 20s he played a lot of weddings Mm -hmm. and and some years almost every weekend so it was his idea when I was um, nine years old to um, try to get me into music Um, and uh, clarinet was uh, he thought it was a good option since he started on clarinet Mm -hmm. so um, I started uh, at an institution uh, that was called Children's Music School, which is uh, different from the United States. It's uh, sort of like an after-school special where you go, let's say on average, three times a week for maybe two hours. Uh, you get uh, two weekly lessons, uh, two 45-minute <laughs> lessons a week. Um, you get piano skills, um, a little bit of music history, a little bit of sight singing, oral skills, all mm-hmm. that stuff and play in a little ensemble so throughout so it was a five-year program but i also continued past that so i spent there a total of um eight years starting in starting in the fifth grade in fact i had a sort of preparatory semester before that so uh so that was the start with the music as a nine-year-old or ten-year-old i had no idea i like it or not i was just gonna do it whatever my parents say okay Mm -hmm. let's try this and um it was an interesting situation where uh, during my third year at that program, uh, they hired a guitar teacher. And me and my classmate, one of my classmates decided, hey, let's take some guitar lessons. Maybe we can have a band. Mm-hmm. And then it happened. <laughs> so I started, um, I got a lot into the guitar and started really paying very little attention to clarinet. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, during my 10th and 11th year, uh, 10th and 11th grade in high school, I uh, I only played the guitar. And I was gonna, going to be maybe a classical guitarist, maybe with a little bit of jazz. Um, and that was sort of the idea that I will finish high school and go do guitar things. Mm-hmm. But clarinet was always there, just a little bit. I, I played in a, in a small ensemble. I maintained very, very little practice to sort of just keep with it mm-hmm. so. but when we went to the capital city business to um, um, 
look for options to take maybe some private lessons with teachers to prepare me for conservatory training and this and that. Um, a person who helped us was one of those uh, band directors who was <laughs> my dad's band director when he was in the student band. Okay. And uh, I was uh, I was very diplomatically, very mildly persuaded <laughs> to think, hey, hey, dude, maybe clarinet would be a better option for you in the long run. <laughs> and there were a couple of, a couple of people there talking. Um, at the conservatory backyard and her overheard that I studied clarinet, but I want to do guitar. And they were like, Hey, maybe clarinet would be better. This, um, band director showed, uh, um, uh, his office showed, uh, all of the great travels that they do with their, um, th that band was at that time was the equivalent of the president's own that he was the okay. director. That's we're talking 1996 here. Um, it was the top uh, top wind ensemble in the country. So, and I was thinking, wow, maybe that would be more interesting. So, mm -hmm. it was that summer before my senior year where I had I was at this crossroad where I had to make a decision between clarinet and guitar, and I was like, okay, uh, just purely based on my intuition and what would be most successful, I decided to just come back to clarinet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I studied at two uh, different institutions uh, back in Lithuania. Uh, before coming to the United States, where I got uh, my three degrees here, um, and now uh, at my at university, my sec second position uh, as a full time job. Yeah, um, when when you when you were growing up from that age, like nine to eighteen, did you realize you actually wanted to pursue music past high school? Um, it was hard to say. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe somewhere in the middle of the tenth. 10th grade okay uh, yeah early early stages of high school because uh, I thinking I was thinking what would be my options and um, I just did not want to sit uh, like to say music professors we end up sitting a lot in our offices but mm -hmm. at that time I said I don't want to sit in an office mm -hmm. I, I need I want to do something interesting I want to do something that has an opportunity to break the routine, mm -hmm. uh, also work with people, so that was around the time, and uh, slowly but very steadily the thought evolved into the thing that, no, I cannot do anything, it has to be music. Mm -hmm. um, when you chose clarinet kind of like on a whim a little bit to pursue instead of guitar, was there also a moment with that when you realized that clarinet was the right choice? Yes, uh, there was never a hundred percent. I was never a hundred percent convinced that clarinet is the right choice. I mm -hmm. probably would have been happy with guitar. Um, ironically, I had this <laughs> that somewhere when I was thinking this or that, mm -hmm. I had a let's say a piece of paper where I would write down all these great uh, compositions for guitar that I would never get to perform. <laughs> I was like, what would I miss? Yeah. But um, I think what attracted me is the versatility mm -hmm. of clarinet, just yeah. to play let's say, orchestra, uh, band, uh, jazz, uh, chamber music, uh, just uh, more versatility mm -hmm. rather than guitar. So, and maybe in a way, a little bit, um, I don't know how much of that was uh, my parents' sort of pressure. I 
they were very flexible in terms of what would I choose. But I think maybe somewhere deep in me, intuitively, subconsciously, I was like, hey, maybe my parents are right too. So, mm-hmm. And just simply income also. Mm-hmm. What income would I have uh, over the long period of time? So playing one instrument or the other. Yeah. Um, that band for the the country, kind of the president's own, but for Lithuania, was that attached to a university? No, it was not. Okay. It was a military band um, on on its own there. But uh, tradition at that time was that successful students that attend a conservatory then followed by music academy, they, uh, the most successful students, let's say if you were in top 20%, top 10%, you would have a good chance to making to one of those bands. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you made that band, were you thinking that you would go to pursue degrees? So uh, I did not make that band because okay. I, after three years of my studies at the, the Academy of Music, I fled to the United States. Okay. <laughs> so there, it, it would have been an option. Mm-hmm. Um, they, were, they were having some auditions, some spots uh, open here and there. So, but um, I just decided to pursue music education elsewhere okay. eventually. So, um, Where did you get your undergrad degree? So I studied for three years in Lithuania. Okay. Uh, I finished three years of uh, my undergraduate there. And then I transferred to Grand Valley State University in Michigan okay. uh, because I met a teacher uh, Dr. Arthur Campbell, he came to do uh, recitals and master classes to Lithuania um, back in 2002, and uh, we connected with him. Uh, my institution the, there in Lithuania were very active in bringing guest artists okay. from uh, different parts of the world. It was really mostly from Europe. Uh, and many young musicians were eager to find opportunities to go study, uh, mostly West, whether it would be mm-hmm. England, France, Germany, Italy, Denmark, you name it. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about my classmates who went to different places. So, and the United States was an option too, maybe not too, not as frequently as Europe because it's further away. But um, when this person came, um, when I first met him, I had this impression, wow, he is like me from a different time and different mm-hmm. place. Uh, we really connected on a personal level. I served him as one of the two student translators. Okay. At that time, uh, my English skills were a slightly bit above average at that point among the students. And my professor was like, you and you, you guys going to translate right mm-hmm. now. So I did. But I also had a chance to play for him during one of the master classes. And I just... Uh, bluntly asked on the last day of his visit, is it hard to get into the school where you teach? Mm Because he was really a great guy, highly motivating, um, just very positive and a great, great performer. So so, um, at that time, I was in my junior year, and uh, he suggested that I finish my senior year after that and then come study with him for a couple of years, maybe go study elsewhere in the States to to get maybe a master's degree and things like, like that. Mm-hmm. But I had a couple of friends who were at that time uh, studying in Boston, um, 
a pianist and a violinist. They were brothers. And they would tell me, no, try mm-hmm. to go right away. Mm-hmm. Try to go right away if you can. And uh, I emailed this professor over the winter break saying, hey, maybe I could come next year. And he was like, oh, we have to move things really fast. Then. Yeah. Because there's um, auditions, application process, and um, English exam, the famous uh, TOEFL exam for foreign students. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't realize that the system was very different. Mm. Back, back, uh, back in Lithuania, you, you, finish, um, you, you finish your high school things. Uh, then sometime in June and July, you go audition for the schools. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, and and that's it. You you either in or out. Um, unlike in the United States, I, I feel like wow, February or March is almost too late. Mm-hmm. To do everything. So, but uh, we, we managed to get things done, and uh, I came to study with him in the fall of two thousand three. So, and I spent two years there. Uh, I was shocked by the amount of general education courses that I had to take. Mm-hmm. But I managed to, to do that, took a couple summer classes and finished in two years, then went on to um, do master's degree to Rice University and then DMA at the University of Texas in Austin. Um, what was I, your biggest transition with moving to the United States? Do you think it had to do with the school being really different or just culturally being really different? A little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, culturally, socially... Uh, in terms of school, um, I was amazed uh, how organized things were. Okay. And students actually attend their classes. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one of the one of the important reasons being that they pay for their education. Mm-hmm. And as uh, back in Europe at that time, uh, school was completely free. At that point, you even get a little. A little bit of money, mm-hmm. and a little bit of scholarship in your pocket every month as a student uh, to help you. So, and uh, when I came to the states, I realized that things are quite quite different. I was fortunate to be on scholarships for my degrees in the United States. I'm very grateful uh, for institutions and professors um, helping that. But um, I just remember professors being so so organized a class is starting on time uh lessons starting on time this is this and this is that unlike i will give you just an interesting example mm-hmm. uh, back uh, in lithuania the music academy for clarinet professor or many professors ran similar ways um if your lesson is scheduled to be at 3 p.m um and maybe there are a couple of students that had a 1 p.m. and 2 p.m. Um, uh, lessons before you. Uh, and this typically would be, again, twice a week for 45 minutes. Okay. Uh, but sometimes it would be half hour, sometimes it would be full hour. It's very flexible. Sometimes professor would be behind with one or two students at 3 o'clock. So if you come at 3 o'clock, your lesson may not start until like 3.45 or something. Mm. Because you sit there and he would still be working with other people. It's, <laughs> it was just a very different story. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I was grateful to recognize that uh, education is very structured. Um, these are the classes you need to take. Uh, 
these will be the exams. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what you need to do. It, it's very, let's put it this way, the whole interface of an American university is very user-friendly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So everything's laid out. Uh, I think the minimized, uh, minimized option for any kind of errors. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then of course, um, uh, people and language was was a little bit of a struggle. Mm -hmm. um, I realized I've always been coming from a very outgoing, a very free culture when we talk about everything mm -hmm. and we're very unrestricted in terms of sharing feelings and sharing things what we think mm -hmm. and I realized that you have to be a little bit more cautious uh, <laughs> in the United States in terms of those things yeah. um, but um, I think I adopted pretty well I, I was lucky to have good roommates uh, that were um, respectful and understanding for me coming from a different background mm -hmm. so. and in terms of music um, things were different uh, because I realized there's a lot of people who are doing music education degrees and they're, they were not always as strong performers immediately when they enter the freshman year mm -hmm. as people would be back uh, in the Academy of Music where I studied before. Okay. Um, however, I realized that what matters is the progress. Mm -hmm. During the course of two or three years, people would really become better um, at their instruments and gain a lot of knowledge. So. Mm -hmm. Um, as a player, what's something that you struggled with in general during your like 18 to 22 year old self? As a player, a few things. Uh, so first of all, I still struggle with this until today. <laughs> and I think it's a never ending quest, but especially back uh, at that, it's just one important thing for all musicians and to me, it's tone okay <laughs> tone the sound finding your own voice mm -hmm. N almost never feeling like i want to sound the way i want mm -hmm. a part has to do with uh wrong fundamentals a part has to do with not having enough knowledge of equipment having this image of how i want to sound but not being able to to do that okay so and i will say over over many years um let's put it this way i i will be turning i will be turning 40 in a couple of months but i feel like i finally found some kind of frame some kind of reference point of my tone where i wanted to be maybe maybe four, five, six years ago. Okay. Well, while being a student, that was really a struggle because mm -hmm. I, had, I had a strong idea what I wanted to be. And I always felt like I sounded very thin okay. on clarinet. So, yeah. And then eventually, eventually found, uh, found my way with that. Uh, but also there were a couple other things. Mm -hmm. um, I think many students struggle with that. I, I frequently felt like... Um, I never felt deserving enough to be good. Mm. Like even I work well, I'm like, no, I'm not good enough. It's not me. It's everyone else that are deserving success, mm -hmm. you know, and what, what is success uh, means yeah. and, and frequent thoughts uh, that I would not make it, mm -hmm. that I would not find my place in music, um, that, I, uh, I would not progress enough that like how 
what what will success be yeah so and and really the the most important turning point was those two years at Grand Valley State University with my teacher who was so positive and so motivating and who basically told me you can do anything you want mm-hmm. and don't let anyone tell you don't let anyone to discourage you so mm-hmm. Master's degree, doctoral degree afterwards, some competitions, some uh, music festivals, connections with people, and um, as a young musician, slowly build your resume and and then go find your way in a professional world. Um, At that time, what was your definition of success in music? To be able to share music with people at the high level. to be able to make a living mm-hmm. as simple as that mm-hmm. and uh, to define uh, to define what I want to do mm-hmm. yeah uh, let's put it this way uh, during early 2000s there was still a very strong surge of people taking auditions mm-hmm. uh, going after orchestra jobs and it was, uh, and that was exactly the time of crisis started. Yeah. Uh, jobs being less, and people and overproduction of music majors, um, people amount of people that want to take auditions more and more and more. So mm-hmm. this sort of opposite path. Um, and I always had the love hate relationship with that. Mm-hmm. For my masters, I ended up going to. Very predominantly orchestral school, Rice University Shepherd School, uh, but um, I never, I never took the path of constantly taking professional auditions to, mm-hmm. to just sort of go after that. So yeah. I realized there are other options. I developed strong interest in new music, uh, contemporary music, ensembles, and solo literature, all of that stuff, um, and then I realized that. Um, college teaching position would be something that's really rewarding. It yeah. gives you a flexibility in terms of performance options as well. Mm-hmm. Is there advice you give to your students at JMU like all the time, like the same words of advice? I try to, I actually, <laughs> I try to tell them the same things in different, different words, but okay. if advice that would be recurring, um, uh, not to give up, mm-hmm. uh, not to give up and just keep working. Um, Advice uh, would be to stay on your path, stay on your track, do the work, um, embrace the struggle, and understand that uh, results uh, will not come immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe uh, this ties a little bit to the to the question um, number five that you had on your list yeah. uh, to some younger players uh, that do not give up. And also, if something doesn't work the way you want to, mm-hmm. uh, don't do things the same way. Okay. So, so I encourage students to vary their practice, mm-hmm. uh, vary um, in terms of materials that what they play. Uh, Start practice sessions with different things. Doesn't always have to be long tones. Yeah. Long tones sometimes can be at the end of the practice session or in the middle, mm-hmm. right? So, in terms of maintaining the routine, um, uh, 
being a musician, I think it's important to find finding ways to break down that routine, to keep the variety. That always uh, kept that's what always kept me going mm-hmm. is, is trying to find ways to do things differently, not the same. But also from a professional perspective, um, to keep your options open. Okay. Uh, and if someone finds that music is not for them, it is better to be honest with yourself rather than try to convince uh, oneself. No, no, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I want to be a musician. In my case, I had a few crises when I thought, oh, I'm not sure if this is for me, mm-hmm. but there was this, um, uh, sunk cost fallacy where I would think I have invested so many years already I mm-hmm. can't fail mm-hmm. but it was more um, it was more that th- the beauty of music itself as art that kept me going and I mm-hmm. try to tell students also a lot that you cannot just practice and try to think uh, try to stay motivated you have to feed yourself with music Mm-hmm. You have to know the cultural and historical contexts. You have to simply listen to music, listen to a lot of music. And it doesn't have to be only, you know, clarinet sonatas from the 19th century. Mm-hmm. We're talking all kinds of music and classical and uh, popular jazz, world music, you name it, mm-hmm. just to understand what it is. Yeah. So, and listen from enjoyment, entertaining perspective, but also from an analytical perspective. See just how music works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I think it's very easy to um, uh, for young uh, musician students. It's very easy to fall into the pattern where they only do what they're being told. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe what's going on in history or theory classes and. You know, lessons repertoire. I think it's very important to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. So just yeah, because that that world is so open, and also these days everything's at our fingertips. Yeah. <laughs> just press, you know, press YouTube button, mm-hmm. press Wikipedia button. You know, it's so so easy. Yeah. Um, in the moments of your life when you thought. Is this going to work out? I'm not sure. Did you ever consider um, changing paths to another profession? Not strongly. Okay. Not strongly. It was a whenever that thought would come in, it would be scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it, deep in me, I would tell myself, especially these days, right now, and as we're going through the current crisis and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our first half of 2020 here, um, I'm comfortable telling myself that I could do um, other things other than music. Mm -hmm. And in fact, knowing that music was not an option um, makes me feel more secure and relaxed about music Mm -hmm. in in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But uh, back when when I was a student or in early professional years, um, I still consider being in early professional years yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> um, and not, there has not been a lot of thought. I thought uh, that music as art itself and music education as a process mm-hmm. gives enough options. Let's yeah. say if I would not be a performer, maybe I could be um, an educator. And if not that, maybe I would be some kind of entrepreneur mm-hmm. or something or administrator something but never never depart from me yeah 
I that's exactly how I feel when people ask me what my end goal is. It's like, well, I mean, this field to me seems so big. I just want to get into it really any way I can. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I will say maybe um, to refer to one of your other listed questions. Yeah. One other area other than music would be something related to geography. Okay. Uh, either geography, maps, cartography, maybe ecology, something with nature, mm -hmm. plants, animals, people, world, uh, that places, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, as a teenager, I was uh, I was a lot into that thing. As a five year old, I had this um, notebook with all world's flags uh, copied. Uh, so I knew like all the countries and all the capitals and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of interest in the world, what, what's the world about, um, mm -hmm. was with me for many years and still is. Mm -hmm. So um, I did not, I did not get uh, lucky in terms of my middle school, high school geography teacher. Mm -hmm. We had a little bit of a clash here and there. And I think that's what sort of pushed me off. But that option, um, that option, geography option, was very, very close second to music. Okay, interesting. So at some point, yeah. Um, looking back on your musical career, are there moments where you can pinpoint um, that you your career or your path took a detour that you weren't expecting? I think uh, most important things, uh, what happened in terms of young music career is meeting certain people. Okay meeting certain people and being ready for opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, uh, to me, um, important things were to be on good terms with, with my teachers. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think in terms of where I want to do my degrees uh, was about meeting people and then um, for example, for my master's degree, I had no idea about Rice University, about the Shepherd School. I had no idea when I came to the States and my orchestra director back at Grand Valley State, he was like, hey, check it out. It's a small school, very good orchestra. Yeah, mm -hmm. You may like it. <laughs> and, uh, and ended up on my list and ended up the school where I was going. Um, uh, I took a year off between my master's and doctoral studies and in um, summer 2007, I went to... Uh, Roundtop Festival in Texas, okay. a summer festival for six weeks, I'm, and I met uh, a fairly large group of people from the University of Texas, including a couple faculty members. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that's actually quite a nice school. Mm -hmm. So I, I ended up applying there for my DMA. So I think it's meeting people. Um, also, uh, meeting lots of really, really good musicians that uh, especially musicians from cities, you know, New York, Chicago, LA, all the big cities with strong musical cultures, mm -hmm. realizing uh, that these excellent, excellent young musicians, uh, who I consider being quite a bit uh, uh, better than me, 
even they struggle in places like that, that yeah. how competitive the business is. Yeah. So, and just keep my options open. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, everyone, uh, I think everyone at some point when they have uh, their musical ambitions think, okay, hey, I'm going to play in Carnegie Hall. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a soloist with 20 orchestras. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to have this um, amazing career, this and that. But I think just staying flexible. So let's say maybe my little detour was... Um, I wouldn't say to give up a dream of like a huge performance career, mm -hmm. but realizing that, um, realizing that like a, like the super celebrity life of the classical musician, it's uh, not necessarily uh, like not having that. It's not a disappointment. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I think a lot of young musicians see people's bios and they're like, oh, well, that'll be me. No problem. Um, but as we all know, it's definitely harder than, <laughs> harder than it sounds, maybe. That's right. Um, so, yeah, keeping options open, very important. Okay. Let's talk about quotes. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about quotes. Um, okay. There was no one near to confuse me, so I was forced to become original by Joseph Haydn. <laughs> um... I was thinking about this quote because uh, in the past few years I got a little bit into composition myself. Okay. But it also applies to being a performer. Mm -hmm. It is, and I'm just thinking especially about um, music learning culture these days. Okay. Let's get a score of the piece. Uh, let's learn the music. Let's listen to a bunch of recordings. And this and that. And I was wondering how people would uh, study uh, 200 years ago mm. without, um, without the recordings. Mm -hmm. so, um, I think, so I think there's, an, there's good and bad about having an overwhelming amount of resources. Mm, yeah. uh, that's, uh, in, in terms of, and, and sometimes I think we have to be careful to stay, to stay ourselves, uh, to stay originals. Um, I'll, I will say one thing in clarinet world, uh, Martin Frost is a very, very popular, um, uh, performer, a very, very popular personality, such a dominant uh, force, I will say, just mm. because he is a classical and contemporary artist, but also uh, goes into other things a little bit too, like jazz and world music. But, um, there's a lot of college students these days, especially in, in the United States, that I want to sound like him. Yeah. This okay. is it. <laughs> and there are quite a few teachers that I talked with my colleagues that have to convince that there's more than one way to sound. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, I think it's important to understand that if you sound or you want to sound different than most people, it's not necessarily a bad um uh, Thing. I had mm -hmm. one of the very, very good students that you, Laura, know in particular, mm -hmm. well, who just graduated, who sounds, uh, who was a leading player mm -hmm. over the course of the past few years at JMU, and he sounds different than, yeah. than many other clarinet players, and I, I never tried to really change him from yeah. that. So, um, really, to have the approach of sound, a certain resonance, certain um, articulation, certain things in your tone that are different can can be rewarding mm -hmm. actually can be rewarding and, and can be interesting for uh, musical connoisseurs mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so that would be something. Um, yeah, sometimes we just have to have a very clean slate, silence, emptiness, nothing, and to build your identity or to rediscover your identity uh, from nothing, uh, you know, without influence. Mm -hmm. But of course, there's a learning process where we um, where we have so many resources that we can absorb. Because yeah. so, each, each of us as a person and each of us as a musician, it's like a broken mirror of very little pieces that are, and every little piece is um, like a person that we've met Maybe maybe a few of the teachers that we studied are larger pieces. Mm -hmm. Some of those large pieces are, are our parents. Some of those are friends. Mm -hmm. All of us is a combination of people that we we met in our lives and mm -hmm. uh, learned from. Um, sometimes uh, learned positive things. Sometimes negative. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I will say a couple things about a quote by Jean Sibelius: "Music begins where the possibility of language ends." I think what is really important to understand the fact that music is a language on on many aspects, especially um, as performers. Simply not to forget the fact that when we perform, when we that when we convey music, that that we speak, mm, okay. that, that whether we speak or we sing. That it actually that the inflections of music, pitches, rhythms, articulations, all of that stuff, it, it is a language, mm -hmm. and the combination of, of the musical elements that uh, that we understand that we express is the is the universal uh, universal language. Yeah, and I think it's just really interesting fact, and that same goes for all styles. Mm -hmm. Of course, jazz musicians always talk about it. Each individual language, you know, in impro improvisation or take, taking the same jazz standard and performing in 20 different ways. Um, but I think it goes just in traditional music, folk music as well over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think music started, music started from a language. I think my final question would be what drew you to your position at JMU? I was uh, looking to uh, move my family uh, from Wichita, Kansas, where I worked previously. And uh, while it was uh, a very rewarding first full-time job and also had a professional orchestra component, mm, okay. the Wichita Symphony, which I miss dearly, um, at the same time um, with the profile of the school, and the opportunities, I realized that that may not be something for the 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. So we were, we were looking for opportunities. When, we, when JMU position opened, I was embarrassed. I will say maybe even ashamed that I have not heard a lot, okay. about, a lot about university other than my uh, former classmate, back during my master's degree, Casey Cangelosi accepted the job a year before me. Mm. I sort of followed him a little bit on social media and seeing that he's doing really good and he's a superstar in percussion mm -hmm. world. And I was like, if it's good for him, it definitely can be good for me. Yeah. As, as soon as that, uh, I saw the announcement, I went online and looked at the facilities and saw Forbes Center and uh, my jaw dropped. Mm -hmm. 
I did my research and I listened to um, ensemble recordings and I was like, wow, what is this place? Mm -hmm. And it seemed like a really good fit. But again, I think the school profile and the geography of the place, uh, but most importantly, when I came and uh, did my interview, it was um, the people, Mm. faculty, staff, and the students, the people that I met, the vibe, the atmosphere, uh, that was it. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was competition between JMU and another uh, high-profile institution at mm-hmm. a different state that I was a finalist to. And I think most people would have chosen the other place. But mm-hmm. to me, there was not, not a question after all that this would be a better fit. Yeah. So, and just um, artistic level of students mm-hmm. and uh, just intel. Uh, intelligence level also i think academic and artistic qualities that i encountered thanks laura thanks for yeah. having me and to all of the musician to all the musicians i would say just keep the music alive mm-hmm. it's uh it's places like jmu uh that will keep it alive and i think it's very important for our world to do that I really enjoyed speaking with Dr. J for today's episode. One thing in particular that he mentioned that stood out to me was talking about varying your practice routine. For a lot of music students, the idea of a consistent routine is the very most important thing in our minds, but like he said, um, if you're doing the same thing all the time and you don't like the results, maybe try something different. Um, Put your scales at the end of your practice and see what happens with that. To listen to more episodes of the Detours in Music podcast, I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow the Instagram page at Detours in Music podcast, and on the first of every month, we have new episodes released on Spotify and Apple Music podcast apps. Something new this week is the Detours in Music podcast Facebook page. I encourage you to like the page, and we will have posts about each upcoming episode on there, and you can like and comment on those posts. Thank you for listening, and I hope you hear the next one.